and welcome to Geek Space Nine, the Tusk Chad Media Network podcast where we discover and all rediscover the classic Star Trek series, A Deep Space Nine. I'm Catherine Hepburn. With me as always is mm-hmm. Sarah Becker. How are you, Sarah? Doing wonderful today, Catholic. Ca- God damn it, Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> it's 1.30. <laughs> Not even drunk. And with me as well is Peter Dancy. How are you, Peter? Uh, I'm pretty good. Um, I just, nothing really. I, I, I'm, I'm just tired. Slightly, slightly tired. Slightly tired. Why is everyone so sleepy? Because it's Sunday. hot now. Yeah, I, and like I was hanging out with friends <laughs> this weekend, and like for, for like a game night, and then I hung up most of yesterday, and today I'm just like, eh, recover day. This is she's supposed to make it to Monday. She's supposed to make it to Monday to be your recover day, and then you sleepily walk into work and go, ah. zombies, the uh, Walking Dead. Come on, guys, gotta keep it going. We're getting too old. We can't. We have to make it through the end of the weekend already. We can't um. be done by. By Sunday already? Sundays are my Mondays. That is true for you, yeah. All right. Well, this week we are talking about Season 7, Episode 7 and Episode 8, which are Once More Unto the Breach and The Siege of AR-558. And they sure live up to their very intense titles. So first up is Once More Unto the Breach. After a lengthy discussion of Davy Crockett that'll in no way thematically tie into the rest of the episode, Worf is visited by our old thing on pal, Kor. Worf tells him of all his great exploits in the Dominion War, but Kor is sad because he no longer has the influence in the Klingon Empire to get a major command, despite being a Dahar Master, the highest honor of a a living Klingon warrior can get. Worf agrees to help him by asking Martok to give Kor a position, but Martok politely refuses by telling Worf if he brings it up again, he will murderate him. When asked why, Martok reveals the terrible truth of his past with Kor, that Kor was a huge dick once. You see, Martok was born to a lowly family, and he thought he would never be able to become an officer. He worked extremely hard, and despite the lowly status of his house, he was almost accepted to become an officer, but one person on the High Council rejected him. Kor. Because of that single no vote, Martok had to spend decades of grunt work to eventually become a captain, and long after his father's death, so he's never forgiven Kor for the slight. At this, Worf says, Well, that's awkward, because I kind of sort of appointed Kor as your third officer already. Martok allows Worf this choice, but says Kor will be his responsibility. When Kor comes aboard, Martok is frustrated that the crew are so in love with him and his reputation as he shares stories and memories, though he does show some minor signs of dementia. The ship attacks a Cardassian base, but are overwhelmed, causing Martok and Worf to be knocked out. Kor steps up and orders a suicide run on the base, even though they are massively outgunned. Kor tells them to call out to Kang as they attack Caleb 4, a clear distant memory that Kor is confusing with the present. Martok tries to kill Kor, but Worf stops him and knocks out Kor and the Rataran retreats. Later in the mess hall, Martok teases Kor relentlessly for his feeble mind, but when Kor tells the crew to enjoy their youth while they still have it, suddenly Martok feels kind of bad about the whole thing. Worf, also realizing he pushed Kor too hard, agrees with Martok to talk to Gowron to find a prominent but not super involved role for Kor. However, they discover that a battalion of Jemadar ships are in pursuit and will catch up to them before they can get back up. Worf prepares to go on a suicide mission and delay the ships enough for them to retreat to his Starfleet cruiser. However, Kor, learning of this plan, knocks out Worf and takes his place, saying that when he goes to Stovacor, he will give a bro nod to Jadzia when he sees her. 
Martok and Worf watch in pride as Kor succeeds, showing all the bravery and tenacity they had heard so much about. With his death, the crew sings to his honorable victory. What do we think of Once More Unto the Breach? It was I. It's so sad. Like, like it was sad. Uh, yeah, this episode, this episode reminded me a lot of a uh, of a TNG episode. It was also very sad, called Relics. Uh, this is the episode where Scotty shows up. Oh, uh, yes. And it's an episode that I know some people don't like because the reason why Scotty shows up is sweaty. It's very dumb sci-fi nonsense just to get Scotty uh, at his current, you know, sort of the, the actor's current age uh, on the ship. But the episode I do like about the episode is that uh, it's basically a whole episode about ageism. It's It's an episode about, you know, how... You get too old at a certain point, and life kind of passes you by, and you kind of don't feel useful anymore. And it's just kind of a sad watching the once great Scotty just kind of not be able to do anything because the technology is way past what he's used to. Right. And just not feeling sort of useful or valuable anymore. And uh, so this episode was sort of similar about that, which I thought was uh, was interesting. I thought it was an interesting way to explore... Uh, the idea of what happens if you're a Klingon who lives too long, because that's an especially tough place to be old, I feel like, because mm-hmm. at a certain point you can't physically or mentally fight anymore, uh, but your whole society's built on getting to a point where you're victorious. And it's also a sort of interesting story. I thought about a person who was uh, ruthless and pompous his whole life, and now that he has to rely on people, uh, and there's no one left to rely on, which I thought was also sort of an interesting moral lesson um so I, 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 I quite enjoyed this episode um but yeah what do you guys think overall well did i mishear it at the beginning of the episode or did core show up and ask Worf to kill him first uh no, no? i don't okay. think so i think he just said he wanted a. he said he wanted an honorable death but i think through oh, okay i think i just right, got confused that whole... yeah, yeah that makes more sense yeah, I thought that meant yeah. an honorable death, meaning like if Worf, you know, kills me in that Klingon ritual, then it will be honorable. But what it real I guess what it really meant was let me serve on a ship going into battle and die yeah. that way. Okay. Let me do something. Yeah, I think that's what he meant. He wanted some he wanted to do something super dangerous that would probably get him killed. I think that's what he gotcha. was Yeah, he he, he was he was he kinda wanted to do the same thing that that, that Worf wanted to do to to help to help uh to help a Jancy get into Stovacor. But as an old officer, rather than some, rather than someone who was closer to being in his prime. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, Peter, it's not that you're not as high on this episode. What, what was your sort of thoughts? Um, on I mean, like, it it it, it, def, it definitely was like was, was like one of those episodes where it's like it was like where it's like okay, this is sad. Like it it's it's it sucks that it sucks that core especially with him being a character that that we've known that we, that we've at least known of at the very least uh since 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 T, since TOS seeing him at this point in his life where he, where he like does have where he does realize that shit I have to take a seat back because I can't do what I have literally done all of my life but I guess at the same time for me it was like for, I, at the same time for me what kind of put me off a bit to this episode was how was how it ended up being another story of an old man being remembered for the good shit he did in the end, even though he knowingly put him in a, even though he knowingly put himself in in a position like in the in the middle of the episode where he was about to get everyone fucked up and killed. And it's like and it's and it's like 
they're they're gonna remember him for helping helping to save the helping save helping save their asses, yes, but it's like at least for me, don't forget that he almost got your asses killed because he withheld information from you about his about his mental condition about his mental condition that almost got you killed for no reason. Hmm. That's a pretty interesting way to look at it. Um I guess to me it's tough because it's like demented people don't really know they're demented usually. No, no yeah, and they I, don't I, want to accept it. And I totally get that. But And that's where it's hard tough for me because like or at least you may not even understood how bad it was until that moment, mm. you know? I mm. kind of got that sense because he did feel a lot more defeated and sad after that. I think he truly didn't expect it was that bad. That it was more just like a uh Oh, I can't remember the name of the ship, or I can't remember this person's position, or something like. Mm-hmm. I don't think he really ever got to a full-on sort of hallucinatory state until that point. That's at least how I read right. it. I don't feel like he thought he was that dangerous until that moment. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm sure even he even thought that it was like, oh well, if I go into battle, it'll all come back to me, right? Because this this is what I know, this is what I'm used to, and then it backfired on him. It came back to him, but you know, a very specific battle came back to him and he just didn't realize that wasn't where he was. I'm sure, you know, the ship probably looked very similar and was, you know, attacking things and got carried away. No, poor guy. Yeah, and, 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 and I, no, I, sure I, I even realized with... that. Hmm? No, like, I was for... just saying, with demented people, they constantly, like, mess up who you are and, like, you know, you'll, like, you'll, they'll think you're their sister or, like, you know, someone like who's been dead for a while or something like that. Like it's a common um, trait in mm-hmm. uh, right. dementia. And, and I mean, and I, I also, I also realized that, that we, that we just as people, even if there, there are plenty of times where, where, where even if we think that something might be wrong or like, or we notice that something might be slightly off, we, we like, we don't exactly take the time to like, we, we don't always take the time to take care of ourselves. So, so it's like, so it's like, that's also just another Poss- another 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 possibility of, of what of what core is what core is going through and then and then and then and then also with him being klingon who knows if he knows he 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 very well could have gone to someone and said something's up i don't know help me out check me out and they were just like no that makes no sense it's stupid we're klingon we, we fight you're good <laughs> this is also true <laughs> i don't think they have very good mental health uh facilities uh, on Clinton. it's all in your head or, yeah you know which is yeah a, a, a yeah. line that too many people unfortunately legitimately are told mm-hmm. this is true and i feel like they similarly probably don't believe in ptsd or you know uh, other mm-hmm. such yeah war related uh you know physical or sorry mental issues i'm sure a lot of warriors on klingon probably just don't get to be core's age because they accurate. die gloriously in battle accurate yeah so they're not right. prepared exactly for an older population no for sure i mean i think that's that's what makes core sort of interesting and uh yeah yeah I, i'm curious how you guys felt about it as a uh a farewell episode to core because he's been with us for a while he's been right. in tos yeah. and he's been in several um yeah, you know, he's obviously in Blood Oath, but he's the only one who survived in that one. And then he was also in this sort of Kalis episode. And now he's uh, this is farewell to him. It's also the final performance from this actor ever. He died shortly after this oh, episode. Wow. So 
sort of a farewell to a lot of people. Sure. So he kind of um, a lot of elements to it. So he kind of really did go out in a blaze of glory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's absolutely interesting. And not many people get to like have their final performance be one like that, which is kind of an, an interesting thing. Yeah, you know, to be to go out in one of your more famous characters dying. You know, it's like yeah. It's like if Hugh Jackman died right after Logan, it would be very odd, you know. Oh yeah, that would have uh, been. It would have like a new like little element to it, you know. Yeah. Though I guess Great Greatest Showman would still come out, so it would yeah. ruin my true. Plan. That would totally ruin it. <laughs> uh, Logan was really well, but here's a circus musical with the last <laughs> Hugh Jackman performance. You know, to give a little um, bit of happiness. Yeah, I mean that that does sum up Hugh Jackman though. It's like. Both Wolverine and Jazz Hands. Jazz. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard someone that made a great comparison to the movie Prestige about how that movie works really well because it's secretly about Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale as actors. Because like in the movie, Christian Bale is like a super method person who's like intense and too intense for his own good, whereas uh, Hugh Jackman is a showman. Jazz Hands, fun. Yeah. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it works really well with both their persons. I got off the track, but what do you guys think of this episode as? Uh, a farewell to Core, uh, just the character and his legacy. Appropriate, appropriately dramatic. Yeah, I... yeah, appropriately dramatic and um, warrior-like. Yeah, and it, it shows what does uh, often happen to older people, even if they don't suffer from dementia. A lot of times, what will happen is they will just, they'll they'll feel uh, stagnant in their life if they can, you know, they're still mentally there, but for whatever physical reason, they they can't do what they, they did for their whole lives anymore. And uh, they just, you know, feel useless. But if they're given an opportunity to prove themselves, then they really shine. And um, I thought this show, or this episode, did that very, very well. And of course, you know, as a Klingon, Got to go out in a blaze of glory, as you said, and it was, I thought it was very well done. Yeah, I, um, I thought it was interesting, too, that it's, you know, it's a blaze of glory episode, but it's also a deconstruction of him as a person, you know, mm-hmm. with the whole Martok storyline, which is sort of, I wasn't expecting that it was a secret Martok episode, which I thought was interesting, because yeah. Yeah, Martok hasn't really been... He's been a very broad character. You know, he's he's all like fire and fury and, you know, uh, mm-hmm. excitement. And uh, and this kind of brought him to a more human level. Um, because, yeah, you get sort of this interesting backstory where he comes from a lowly household. And that kind of explains his tenacity and his drive. And I thought it was also very interesting. You know, it's a, uh, you know, to quote one of the greatest lines uh, of all time from the movie Street Fighter. Yes. <laughs> the day that I invaded your town was the worst day of your life, but for me, it was a Tuesday. Um, hmm. And it's similar with Kor, where he doesn't remember Martok, which is so interesting. He Martok was just one in a line of people that he probably just offhandedly was like, ah, lowly house, whatever, no. Um, but for Martok, you know, Kor is this villain of great statue in his mind, and it's almost worse that Kor doesn't even remember him or his slight at all, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that it wasn't that malicious. It was just so offhanded, which I thought was made it more interesting. I think the one problem I would have with this episode is that Martok doesn't really have a emotional finality to that arc. He yeah. pities him at the end, but to me, pity isn't quite the same as forgiveness. I know yeah. it's, it's more not. Just, uh... So I think I could have done with a line of something like, you know, 
what he did was brave, but I'll still never forgive him or something like that. Like, even if he doesn't have forgiveness to, to bring it out that he doesn't, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think that could have been an interesting, more balanced ending where it'd be something along the lines of, you know, he'll always be my enemy, but he's still a hero or whatever, you know, something where it's like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I respect him, but I don't like him. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I, was, I respect. I respect. That, that would be my big issue. With I him, respect so. him. I don't like him. But I respect him. I don't like him. But thank you for denying me the, the officer position because because it got because me busting my ass for decades got me where I am today. Right. Kind of true. Kind of true. And he was so mean. Well, yeah, on, on some levels, like unnecessarily. Yeah. yeah. That one scene yeah. where he's just talking shit. Oh, he was horribly mean, but again, I think it was, you know, it's that you've wanted to say these things for 40 years, and now it's just a sad old man, and you're like, oh, never mind. It was dishonorable, in my opinion. It was It was, yeah. Definitely. But I think he knew it was dishonorable after he did it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there anything else you guys want to say for this episode? Just real quick to go back to the beginning. As a Texan, I'm very pleased with the Alamo reference. Yes, yes, I was so happy. My first, Crockett, uh... my first note for this episode is just all caps. Remember the Alamo. <laughs> Texans have this weird complex. True. Oh my God. Come, come to, come to think of it, I have, I haven't been to the, uh, to, to the Alamo um, kind of. Can we call it a memorial? Really. Landmark, landmark, yeah. Landmark. I'll call it a landmark. I haven't, been, I haven't been to the Alamo landmark in years. Like, I, 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 don't, I don't even think I went there once when, when we were all in college, just because I was like, because because I've been there so many times as a kid. Like since since my god family lives in San Antonio, yeah. And just it was like, what, and it's like, I know this. I know that I know mm-hmm. how, I know how small it is. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> and at least when I was a kid, they didn't let you take pictures in there either. Yeah, there was like a guy with a hat, and he took he put a hat over my camera when I tried to take pictures. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it's a uh, yeah. It's, Texans like their history because it's a very unique history. I know mm-hmm. when I went to France, and they were like, uh, France is on the only places that uh, had a Texan embassy. That's right. And I was like, oh, I'm going to find that embassy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Must I went and found the store. It's like a gap now, but there's a little plaque there. <laughs> um, if you're in Paris, go go yeah. find that plaque. Noted. Uh, I, uh, I've, I've been driven past that before on a tour bus, and they pointed it out. I was like, hey. Every, te- every text every text yeah, on, was the on tour, tour bus too, just yeah. screaming. Yeah, we were all Texans on the tour, and we're like, Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So it's pretty great. Yeehaw. Uh, and then the rest and the rest of my group were terrible. Um, so, you know, eh. Um, Texan pride. But uh, yes. just keep, just scale it back. Don't be a dick about it. That's all I'm saying. You know, be mm-hmm. prideful. Don't be a jerk. Yeah. Um, but you guys aren't. I trust that. Um, but uh, yeah, so certainly the Davy Crockett stuff was interesting because, yeah, Davy Crockett is someone you learn about a lot of in school and Jim Bowie and all the people at the Alamo who are famous. And you're like. Oh yeah, it's good times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Back to Texas history class. Yep. And it's famous because Are we, we only... lost. <laughs> exactly. That's what makes it great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we made a bit. And we made a cool sign. Come and take it. Um, yeah. So, 
Yeah, uh, this is an interesting episode, but uh, shall we move on to the next uh, depressing episode? Oh, gosh, Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah, some, some heavy stuff. Uh, this is our... This is our Saving Private Ryan episode. The Siege mm-hmm. of AR-558. We begin with Bashir getting a hollow recording of one of Vic's performances so it may add some levity to the troops on AR-558, a hotly contested area on the front lines. Meanwhile, Cisco is looking over the latest casualty lists. He relents that at one time he used to read every single name, but now it's just become meaningless numbers as the casualties rise. They, and Quark, for very vague story nonsense reasons, arrive on AR-558 and find a grim sight. The garrison of 150 soldiers is now down to just 43, who have spent five months without rotation or supplies. They are defending a Dominion comms array, which they hope to one day hack into, in order to hear all the communications across the sector. If that wasn't enough, the place is littered with Houdinis, the name given to a Dominion subspace mine that can appear anywhere at random and kill. The crew all rag on Sisko for leaving back to his cushy life, but Sisko decides now is a good time for some trauma and decides to stay and fight off the next invasion. The posted engineer, Kellen, and Ezri strike up an immediate friendship as they nerd out and try to solve the problem of the Houdinis and the comms relay. Meanwhile, Quark protests Nog's increased interest in the soldiers and his interest in doing more dangerous work. When Nog goes out on a scouting mission, Quark refuses, but Nog goes anyways. On the mission, Nog hears danger, but it is too late as the leader of the group is killed and Nog gets a phaser to the knee. 2011 jokes! They're back! Hmm. Quark is taken into the hospital and Quark gets to tell Ben the good news that Nog is going to lose his leg. Feel bad yet? Mm. There is some good news, though, as Kezri and Killen find a way to bring the Houdinis into the regular environment. They make all of them appear, and Ben has the idea to mine the pass the Jimadar will have to take on their assault, which will thin their numbers significantly, despite Ezri's moral protest. That night, the assault is on, and Bashir decides to set the, set the mood with some light music and mine explosions. They get ready, and the Jimadar attack, and many are killed, including Kellen, but the plot armor on Ben and the others is too strong. They hold their ground, and for now, the day is won. The casualties are shift off to a proper hospital, including Nog, while a new supply of fresh-faced recruits come in to take their place. Back on DS9, Kira comes in with the latest casualty list of 1,600 people. When Kira states that's a lot of names, Ben reminds her... I'm sorry, no, numbers. <clears throat> when Kira states that's a lot of numbers, Ben reminds her that all those numbers have names and are real people with real lives. What do we think of the siege of AR-558? Depressing. Depressing, just really oh my god! Sad. This 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 was this was like, the, like um God, what, what was what was the name of that episode where where uh, where like where like where it was just being run by a bunch of kids um like the Red Squad or whatever it was. Valiant, Valiant, thank you. This 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 Valiant. was like yeah. this was like Valiant times ten. I was just like, I am not prepared. Mm-hmm. Because Valiant, because Valiant was more surprising. Valiant was more yeah. just like a weird setup, and then they all died. And you're like, whoa, <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, yeah it's, this Very one was just kind of a of... constant level of despair. Yeah. Yeah, this is a very war is hell so uh, grim. episode, uh, for mm-hmm. sure. Reminded me a little bit of the one um, where Jake goes in uh, as a reporter oh, with, yeah. with, I think, Julian. And it's yeah, just very like, similar to this episode. Yeah, war is hell. <laughs> very similar Oof. episode, yeah. Um, yeah, this episode is... I think it's great. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Because I don't know many war movies that have done this, which is, you know, 
should there must be there's like scenes in war movies like this which is like you know which i always think is well done which is when the general goes to the front lines which is i think an interesting concept you know yeah. uh you start off with this whole idea of of benjamin reading these names and how it's been so many that he's kind of lost sight of what it like the personal struggles and who these people are all real people mm. um and then he goes down to this place that has like been completely abandoned by the Federation, so he feels guilty, so he decides to stay there, um, which is kind of stupid, but whatever. Um, but it's fine. Uh, it's, it's, it's narratively important. Yeah, yeah. Just the military strate- strategic person in me is like, mm, maybe not, you know? Um, but uh, um, but it, it makes sense in terms of the narrative structure. Right. And it's, you know, meeting these people and seeing them as real people and learning who they are and then watching them all die. Um, mm-hmm. And then seeing what the cost of, you know, doing this is. Um, it's it's similar to the uh, book Ender's Game, which I'm going to spoil. Um, Do it. The big twist in the end of Ender's Game uh, is that all these video games that these kids think they're playing are military strategies are actually real battles. And the mm-hmm. reason they do it is because they're like well if you think of these as char- as video game characters you're not gonna care about them and so you're gonna have the ability to push these people uh and sacrifice when maybe you shouldn't need to sacrifice um you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily sacrifice people if you think of them as real people you know but right. if you're a video game and you're thinking of just numbers you're like well I'll lose thirty thousand to you know kill four hundred thousand or whatever but when you're a human being you're like oh my god i killed thirty thousand people on purpose you know, you have this sort of moral obligation. I think it's sort of similar, which is, you know, a reverse of that, which is, you know, um, Cisco re-remembering what the struggle is about, which is about actual people uh, actually fighting and actually dying in horrible, horrible ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I thought it was interesting because, you know, this is more of a horror. It's more of a Shakespearean story. It's more, and I only mean that in terms of like Shakespeare is all about generals and kings uh-huh. and, uh, 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 people of power. It's uh, Shakespeare doesn't really write about common folk, um, and and it's sort of similar where you know a battle will happen, but only the generals will be talking about it, and all the people actually dying or eh, whatever. They're <laughs> off screen or, ra- or rather off stage, of, right? And this is sort of taking that and dragging him down to the mud with everybody. And I thought that was a very interesting uh, concept, and I thought it was a very uh, powerful episode because of that. Um, one thing I thought was very interesting is that we have a bunch of just classic character actors, and one I quite enjoyed was Raymond Cruz as Vargas, yeah. who is Tuco from Breaking Bad, which is really exciting to see. Uh, he looks exactly the same. He's not aged in like 30 years. Um, and uh, it was just cool to see. But the one that was really funny is uh, we have Bill Mummy as uh, Kellen, the uh, engineer listed. And he's very notable for sci-fi fans as the original Will Robinson on the Lost in Space TV show. You know, Danger Will Robinson. That uh, that's that's that original kid. And uh, apparently, according to Bill Mummy, he said uh, uh, he thinks that the showrunner Ira got a, a big kick out of murdering the kid from Lost in Space. He thought that was funny. Oh wow. Well. <laughs> um, but yeah. So. Uh, what do you guys think of sort of the atmosphere of this episode in particular? And sort of this this very interesting grim uh slower pace this episode it was really about like for, like for, for me for me i liked how they i, I liked how and how in the moments that they did they they, they kind of, they kind of explored how 
being in this environment was like effect, affected some of the soldiers personally and like and like at, at what at what point at what point at what point they they may they may have been at like um like i, I think like um with uh with, with raymond cruz's character vargas he 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 wouldn't he wouldn't even let bashir take off to take off the bandage or whatever bandage or whatever that that, that was put that was put off, that was put on him from from the from the guy from the guy who was killed like what like two months ago like how however long however much longer before the episode started was and it was and it, and if and at first and at first you think it's like first you think it's like oh no like just don't take it off but then it's like but then it's like hmm he's describing this guy who always ta- who talked all the time and he wanted him to just shut up and now and then he died and now it's like he miss he because of just all this shit and trauma it's like he legit misses hearing that guy talk and it's like it's really heart-wrenching like I, I, yeah that's a very fascinating monologue he does yeah that he doesn't even like this guy but just losing that element you know uh, that being just gone all of a sudden of, so of normal weird. of like of like of like uh, that element of a weird sense of normalcy and and someone who you know after like after they were killed he realizes like they were kind of a ray of sunshine because he was always hopeful and he was always and he was always encouraging and it's like damn it right in the feels yeah it's very um similar to the last half of a uh, full metal jacket which is just uh, all about uh people who've been in it way too long um and a guy who's just fresh face coming into it with with people who've been in the shit way 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 too long um actually adam baldwin from firefly plays a character called animal mother in that movie and uh very much reminds me of the guy who's collecting ketracel white containers that's like, mm, his, mm-hmm. like very dark um uh trophies you know that he hangs around his neck from every jim hadar he gets uh, yeah um sort of reminded me of that with this sort of and it's really interesting thing he has was like he has this whole knife which I think he stole from a Gemhadar. I think that was the implication because mm-hmm. he said it's not a Federation knife. And then as soon as he leaves, he just buries it in the sand, like because he's just done. He doesn't even want to like have any sort of trophy or anything. He's just moved on from this situation, which I thought was very powerful as mm-hmm. well. I thought the music was really good in this episode. Uh, maybe it was just more noticeable because there were some more scenes where they weren't talking; they were just, you know around taking in the nature of the scene and being very sad or they were in combat and things like that but it was it was very full and lush lots of good strings in there um <clears throat> but um the it was mostly atmospheric but the the times when there was a little bit of me- melody it really reminded me of the flavor of the original series oddly enough i don't really know how to describe that but it was very well composed mm. Yeah, I, no, I, I totally. Sorry, you go, Peter. No, I was I was gonna just say to say I agree with that, and um, and like, and when and when Bashir, when Bashir started playing um the the song the, the song that he had Vic record, uh, that was a yeah an appropriately sad and eerie moment. Mm-hmm. Like it, like it, yeah, like, that's the just, thing I uh. Like it just made it just made an an odd sense in an odd sense in context when it started playing, and then you just and then like hearing the Houdinis go off, and like go go off go off in the distance before, before like like more kind of orchestrated music ramps up, and it's just a bunch of 
phaser fire and it's like oh lord mm-hmm. yeah it's um that's the thing i was struck about this episode is that uh star trek isn't usually super cinematic just because in the way like uh uh it's you know it's it's often filmed for television it's 26 episodes you know there's not as much time to sort of um lay out uh, uh a shot that isn't sort of more plotter character focused. So a lot of the shooting in these episodes will be very uh, formulaic and, uh, and functional, not bad, but pretty since the yeah. work, but just, you know, functional. Um, and this episode was surprising because it did have a lot more atmospheric elements. Like you said, that whole sequence of the shot long in the distance of like the refresh of the light and the great sound today, where it's just these little poofs, but you know, because they built it up earlier, what that means. And, uh, and like I said, the haunting sort of music, it created a great, great, very creepy atmosphere that I really, really liked this episode uh, mm-hmm. had. And um, I'm glad it had a lot more weight to the to the battle and the whole idea of just sort of living on the front lines for just an episode. Because I think it was also a part about like character growth for, for Benjamin. So it wasn't like a filler episode in any sense of the word, but it was still willing to just live in a world like a filler episode kind of does yeah which is why i really appreciate it but is it too dark (laughs) is it just like too dark for an episode are we are we done with so much darkness in this war or do you still feel like there needs these kind of stakes uh i think i think it it does need these kind of stakes especially because it has been going on for so long in the show um Mm-hmm. You know, we as as Captain Cisco need to be reminded that war does have stakes. War is terrible. And if you just look at the numbers or even maybe just the names without knowing the people and experiencing it yourself, you start to forget all the atrocities that are going on. Yeah, it, it was it was like it was a great kind of it was a, not even kind of it was a great story narrative to to, to, to get to give to the viewer especially after in the beginning of the episode like Cisco said yeah these are just names to me and like and, and like mo- most of most of kind of the battles and experiences that, that that we that we have seen with the Dominion war have been like have been like 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 you mentioned Ben just like in a, in a Shakespearean way just generals and captains on their ships talking about the casualties but it, it but and it, it, but with but, but with these care but with these characters and, and especially with us as the audience being seven being seven seasons in now or the, or the, or at least with this being the seventh season being seven seasons in it I, I I think I think I like to think that the that the writers the writers and show and showrunners of Deep Space Nine were like okay we have brought if you are watching this show we have brought our audience to the point where with what's going on we can fully show them and like give like give them an example of this of of what's going on with the people who are actually fighting and remind them oh this is hell this is shit this is not fun at this is not fun as kind of nog thought it was before he before before he's told we have to we have to take off your leg because that's because that's not going to work for you Yeah, it was interesting too that we get, um, and we've already watched the next episode when they deal with it. But it's interesting also that they have like a dramatic change for a character with Nog as well. There's this whole sort of yeah. subplot about 
Nog's uh, insistence and interest in the war and Cork being overprotective. Well, Cork being kind of right to be a little overprotective in the situation. And and Nog, we'll talk more about it next week, but uh, Nog dealing with the, the loss of his leg and like losing a sense of that invulnerability you can often feel when you're very young and uh, have achieved a lot, but uh, haven't really experienced true hardship as it is. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you guys want to say for this episode? Uh, well, I mean, I, I, we'll, we'll get we'll get we'll get to it. Um, we'll, we'll get to it in, in, our, in, our, in our next episode because 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 like you just brought up, they don't they they don't address nog after 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 this after the siege um a season until 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 episode nine but um but but i but um but but even just even just watching this episode by itself i when um when he when he got even when he just got shot i i made i made a note in all i made a note in all caps nog no jake might be Mm -hmm. jake is gonna be pissed Well, I think that'll do it for our episode this week. Next week, we'll be discussing Season 7, Episode 9, and Episode 10, which are Covenant and It's Only a Paper Moon. As always, I want to thank my lovely co-host for joining me every week on this journey. Our theme song is by Captain Meatshield. You can check him out on Twitter at CPTN underscore Meatshield. Our awesome artwork is by Joe Bowen. We are part of the Tuscan Shed Media Network. You can see more of our shows at TuscanShed.com. If you like the show, like, subscribe, rate, and review it any way that you can. It helps new listeners discover our show. Until next time, this is the crew of Geekspace 9 signing off. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening. <laughs>